0: Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, Warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. So, in last week's episode, I asked the critical question Are you an agent of change or defender of the status quo? I talked about how you can tell. When you see inequity in your organization, is your inclination to justify and rationalize the inequity, to focus on what you're doing right, to point to all the programs or initiatives the organization has implemented? Is your rationale focused on the role of, the fault of, the underrepresented individual rather than the social, structural, and organizational effects on the inequity? Do you believe bias is a real problem, but just not in your organization, not in your department, not on your committee, not you? If organizational leadership answers yes to any of these questions, they are clinging to the status quo and a defender of the status quo mindset. If they're committed to honest introspection, to walking boldly towards unconscious bias in order to acknowledge and interrupt it, if they're committed to creating real structural and organizational change, then they have the change agent mindset. So this week, I want to apply the same rationale and thinking to a problem which has existed for women since we entered the workforce. One that despite a host of stated incredulity and endless implementation of interventions persists. I'm talking about the gender pay gap. I want to talk about the myths that continue to perpetuate a narrative that is both incorrect, but also one that does not serve women and contributes to the persistence of gender inequity. Equal payday in the United States lands on a different day every year. And this year, it turns out, on average, women had to work 74 extra days into 2022 to catch up on what men earned in 2021. That day fell last week. It was March 15th. Now, Equal Pay Day was originated by the National Committee on Pay Equity in 1996 as a public awareness event to illustrate the gap between men and women's wages. It was originally called National Pay and Equity Awareness Day, and it changed to Equal Pay Day in 1998. And I wasn't planning on doing an episode specifically on the gender pay gap. I've integrated it into many other episodes, and I did post on social media last week on Equal Pay Day some myths about the pay gap. But since then, over this past week, it keeps coming to the forefront, compelling me to talk about it on the Advancing Women podcast. So that's what I'm going to do today. So interestingly, this past week, I spent some time in Washington, D.C. I was helping chaperone my son's eighth grade trip. And we had this great tour guide named Chess throughout the whole four days we were there. He had so much history to share and told these great stories. But one story in particular that he told really made me pause. We were touring the World War II Memorial, and Chess was talking about women in the workplace and the important role women played in World War II. Specifically, he talked about Rosie the Riveter and Kilroy. Now, most of you know Rosie the Riveter and are likely imagining her image right now. Red polka dot bandana, making a muscle under the words, we can do it an iconic symbol of American feminism and the economic contributions of women in the workforce. And Chess, our guide, was telling a compelling story of the economic advantage America had in the war, the economic advantage of women in the workforce, while men were on the battlefields and said that women were one of the greatest weapons we had in the war, that women entered the workforce and continued to provide, in many cases, the very ammunition needed for the war. And I had heard this story before, but then he told a story I hadn't heard before about another image from World War II, a sketch, graffiti really, of a bald man with a long protruding nose peeking over a wall. And written next to the drawing were the words, Kilroy was here. And I had never heard this story So I was really interested, and our tour guide explained how there has been a lot of speculation as to the origins of this cartoon sketch, and there was actually the sketch there at the memorial. But he talked specifically about how this sketch related to women in factories in World War II, and in reference to Rosie. He explained how employees were often paid for finished units produced, and so factory inspectors would make a chalk mark after their inspection was finished to tally the completed work. But how some of the workers, how Rosie, as he told the story, would sometimes erase the mark in order to be paid twice for the work they had done once. The character of Kilroy then was meant to be a reminder that they were being watched. And our tour guide jokingly scorned Rosie for this mischievous, seemingly dishonest action. But of course, my first thought was that perhaps Rosie was just trying to ensure that women got paid the same as men for the same work. So in being paid twice, their compensation was likely more aligned with what men historically made to do the same work. I expressed this theory to Chess, our guide, and to his credit, he did truly seem to ponder and reflect on my words. From that moment on, we heard a lot more in our tours about the contributions of women in America's history. It really inspired this discussion of gender pay inequity, which persists today. We must recognize that from the offset of women entering the workforce, we were paid much less for the same work. And once that precedent was set, it continued. It is very difficult, impossible often to, quote unquote, catch up or close the gap later when out of the gate, women start at such a deficit. And to be sure, contrary to the widely held belief that women's earnings rose relative to men's during World War II because of women's unprecedented movement into manufacturing industries, the data show that actually, although women earned more money than before, it was still far less than men received for doing the same job. As Joanna Kratz, author of Being Equal Doesn't Mean Being the Same Notes, quote, unions were trying to make sure that women did not usurp men's pay while our guys were overseas fighting for us, end quote. Though government agencies proclaimed otherwise, there was a significant gap in the pay men and women received in the post-World War II era, and that gap persists today. Here again, the PR was about equity, But the data, the outcomes told a more accurate story. Indeed, in the immediate post-war years, women workers earned roughly 60 cents for every dollar a man made. And this was regardless of whether they were the primary breadwinner in their family or not. According to U.S. Census Bureau data, the median annual wage for female workers in 1950 was about $1,500 as compared with $2,700 for men, a very big difference. And then after the war, employers used the wave the flag mentality to justify laying off female employees or they moved women into those lower paid positions. So after being there, stepping up, getting it done, contributing to the war and to the economy, women faced the harsh reality of being pushed out of those well-paying jobs and moved into low-paying jobs, or in many cases, moved back to the kitchen, back to those no-pay jobs. Essentially, women just got screwed. In her book on the history of women in the American workforce, historian Ellis Kessler Harris talks about the questions the war had brought to the forefront. She talks about how equal pay and child care for women, quote, lost immediacy as women faced the reality of poorly paid jobs or none at all, end quote. And the long-term impact is a stubbornly resistant pay gap drenched in a history of entitlement that these jobs are really men's jobs. You know the storyline, she took my job, because that's our history. It's men's jobs. And of course, with that continues the narrative that we should be somehow grateful for every step closer we get to getting what men get. And that mindset needs to be acknowledged and interrupted, that history. It seems like whenever we talk about the gender pay gap, we see the status quo defending mindset rear its ugly head. The focus on where the women have fallen short are less than, and how that rather than gender bias or discrimination is where the explanation lies. It's that persistent, maddening blame the woman, fix the woman versus fix the real problem. Focus on the discriminatory bias, often unconscious bias that is the true driver of the inequality. Despite the many hurdles put in our path, women have continued to participate in the workforce and in the economy. In growing numbers since 1945, we are warriors fighting the good fight, but some things remain stubbornly unchanged. As the author of the 2018 journal article titled The Lingering Wage Gap from Rosie the Riveter to Me Too notes, quote, affordable childcare is non-existent, discrimination endures, and women are still shunted into lower paying and contingent work, end quote. So when we talk about that, again, we see that status quo defender mindset come up. Things like, Well, what about experience and seniority? Women just don't have as much experience. They don't have the kind of qualifications or expertise. But even in this, that similar experience piece is fraught with bias. Plentiful research debunks this blame the women narrative, how women don't take on the right projects or have the same level of education or ability, rather than identifying structural problems that perpetuate this, how organizations should and could identify the low-profile housekeeping projects that women are too often asked and expected to take on, and ensuring these types of projects are just. Distributed equally to open up space for women to then take on those high profile projects, those stretch projects that tend to result in promotion or more pay. It's also about acknowledging the bias that exists when women say no to those housekeeping type projects, those low profile projects, the gendered expectations for women to be nice and helpful, team players. We need to address that reality when creating policies and organizational plans, rather than just advising women to stop doing that and just say no, which is oversimplifying a persistent set of discriminatory biases that are the true reasons for those outcomes. Also, in terms of experience, it is important to note that despite women being enrolled in colleges and graduate schools at greater rates than their male counterparts, and even when women have similar academic and professional credentials and experiences, they still trail behind similarly qualified men in terms of advancement from early on and throughout their careers. In one study, researchers conducted a study of 4,100 MBA students who graduated in the early 2000s. Even after adjusting for years of work experience, industry, and region, they found that men started their careers at higher levels than women and that after starting behind, women did not catch up. Men move further up the career ladder, they move faster, and they are more highly compensated. So we need to shift from that status quo defending mindset because that is public relations, not leadership. The gender pay gap has received significant media attention, no doubt. And there is an abundance of best practice advice being offered to women to help fix the problem, but much less, far less attention has been paid to bias in organizational compensation systems that drive that gap. We need to shift from what women need to do to what society, organizations, and leadership need to do to create pay equity. We are constantly barraged with messages like, recruit allies, mentors, and sponsors, and you're giving the person with less pay for the same work even more work and not thinking about the logistics of that. Why would others in the organizations jump in to take on more work as sponsors or mentors if the culture in that organization doesn't appreciate value or reward that? Organizations can create performance indicators around behavior that they want to see, which would drive others to seek women to mentor, sponsor, and to be allies for them. I conducted a study a few years ago where I interviewed many women working in a Fortune 100 company. And when I asked about mentorship, I was really surprised that everyone was talking about how they had great mentors and sponsors, that they had many allies in the organization. This surprised me, honestly, because finding mentors and sponsors and building allies can be very challenging and time-consuming. It's not easy. But this is what I learned. In that particular organization, in order to be promoted to upper-level management, you had to show evidence that you had sponsored or mentored. So this policy, this key performance indicator, which was an important part of being seen as an employee who was contributing and valued and ready for the next level, led successful women and men in the organization to seek out those they could mentor. Their success was aligned with helping others because mentoring others was a measurable key performance indicator. This takes the onus off the underrepresented group by creating a culture of support. And I can't emphasize this enough. It's common sense, but we fail to see it in those key performance indicators. This is not about lip service. If you are committed to something, you reward it. You are committed to that which is rewarded, which has performance indicators, and which is in the budget. Your budget screams your priorities much louder than your rhetoric. And that's what moves the needle. And we need to interrupt messages that we keep hearing over and over again that are much more myth than fact. We hear things like women just need to learn to negotiate. You want more money? Just ask. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You'll be unliked, degraded, and then the offer may be rescinded, leaving you feeling like you screwed up by asking. But then you don't ask and you'll get blamed. I see so many upsetting and disturbing social media posts. I recently saw this post and I'm going to read it to you. The woman who posted said, quote, I just offered a candidate $85,000 for a job that had a budget of $130,000. I offered her that because that's what she asked for, and I personally don't have the bandwidth to give lessons on salary negotiation. Here's the lesson. Always ask for the salary you want. No matter how large you think it might be, you never know how much money a company has to work with. (sighs) I sigh deeply and heavily. Because this is what results from the brainwashing, the gaslighting of women, the blaming of women for a gender bias problem. Ask for more money, they'll convince you you're not worth it, make you feel like an imposter, see you as difficult or aggressive, selfish even, and maybe even rescind the offer. Don't ask though, and you'll be blamed for making less. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's so disheartening to see posts like this, such oversimplification of very complex problems and certainly not narratives that serve women in any way. And it's also about risk-reward. Asking women to risk all I've just talked about, even the offer being rescinded, being disliked, being seen as difficult, the ambition penalty that I've talked about in previous episodes, is problematic when the result is not only all these negative outcomes, but that women who ask for raises have a far less likely chance of getting the raise or getting hired at that higher pay rate. Research is showing that women not asking for the raise or extra money is much more myth than explanation of the pay gap. That in fact, women do negotiate salary when being hired and ask for pay raises just as often as men, nearly just as often, but they get it less often and are often seen in a negative light either way, whether they get it or not, which can have long-term consequences. So to be crystal clear, the pay gap is not in any way, in any way, women's fault or women's problem to solve. And so I'll go back to what I said last week. Leadership aimed at creating equity is about mindset and then action based on that mindset. It is about choosing to be an agent of change, meaning focusing on fixing the problems versus choosing to be a defender of the status quo, focus on fixing the problem, not the women. And the pay gap is really the low-hanging fruit of gender equity. It can be fixed and it can be fixed fast if leadership If change agents focus on four things, one, affordable childcare, and not as a woman's accommodation, but rather a 21st century workforce reality, a workforce where men and women both work We can advocate to change social norms and we should, but that takes a long time. Finding affordable childcare and flexible solutions can happen immediately and have immediate impact. We keep talking about all the major shortages in the workforce and how organizations need to create a more desirable workplace to recruit, to improve retention, to minimize turnover. Affordable childcare can be an opportunity for organizations to create a competitive advantage. Likewise, Flexible work solutions can provide that competitive advantage, and I'm talking about working from home and being understanding of parental needs because, and we seem to forget this when we talk about child care as a woman's problem, men and women are parents. This isn't about women. Men and women are both parents. This is about creating policies and change with 21st century workers and families in mind versus 1950s families. Because the breadwinner-homemaker model is dead and it is never coming back and we don't want it to come back. And too many of our policies and our overall work culture reflect that antiquated man as breadwinner, woman as homemaker model. Consider a simple change like staggered work days. Maybe you have a seven to three and a nine to five option if you can't offer the flexibility of being at home because the job doesn't permit it. The single change would allow one parent to get kids on the bus and another to get them off the bus while both parents are still working full time. This is just one idea, but you get the idea. There need to be solutions that work for the realities of families and people today. And there need to be solutions related to affordable and dependable child care if we want to fix the gender pay gap in a society where women who work outside the home are still inequitably expected to take on the lion's share of home and childcare. The mindset needs to be interrupted and policies and ideas need to be implemented to create a more fair and equitable landscape. Next, we have to interrupt the constant shuffling of women into lower-paying work. And that is very much a social norms and gender socialization problem, the prescriptive bias of what women are and should be like and how the jobs aligned with those attributes tend to pay less. You know, women are found throughout the workforce, but are concentrated very heavily in those low wage sectors. And this is one of those chicken or the egg problems. It's women gravitating to low pay jobs that are seemingly aligned with attributes that are seen to be positive feminine attributes caring, nurturing, uh, service to others. But it's also about those jobs where women. Are more prevalent to be valued less. And when I say valued, I'm talking strictly about compensation and pay. This needs to be addressed from both sides. It's about understanding and interrupting our proclivity towards directing women toward low-paying jobs, but also re-evaluating the types of jobs that are low pay within the context of what that might look like if men and women were in those jobs in equal numbers. And finally, And this one is really at the heart of it, and it's pretty simple. We need the same pay for the same work. If we examine the legislation in the proposed Paycheck Fairness Act, for example, it's about forcing employers to justify pay discrepancies and penalizing those who pay women less than their male co-workers things like banning questions about pay history. But guess what, organizational leaders? You don't have to wait for a bill to be passed, for legislation to be passed, to be forced to do the right thing. Now is a time when you can actually walk the talk and implement policies and strategies aimed at addressing systems, structures, and organizational improvements needed to fix the problem. Again, completely discontinue justifying the inequity or status quo. And for the love of God, please stop blaming women or trying to fix women, please. Hear this loud and clear. We are not broken. We are not the problem, and we do not need to be fixed. We need the problem fixed. There are so many logical ways to implement fair pay, yet we consistently get it wrong, and part of that is attempting to implement pay fairness late in the game. Things like percentage increases, which are the norm in many industries, including academia. In my organization, we give equal percentage raise for promotions, which seems great on the surface, right? Except historically, women are hired at lower rates. So these quote-unquote fair policies only serve to increase the pay gap when, as research and census data show, often women are hired at a lower rate. That's not fixing anything. And we know better. So you know better, now do better. It's also about expecting accountability and justification for pay gaps or promotion inequities. It's about creating transparency. It's about not discouraging people from talking about their salaries as a way to protect a system that favors pay inequity. It's about real change that moves the needle and closes the pay gap. This is about leadership, creating ideas and strategies that are more than PR that move the needle, that create real change and close the pay gap. The system is broken and needs to be fixed. Women don't need to hear how we can mentor, sponsor, negotiate, and workshop our way out of discrimination and gender bias. Rather, fix the status quo in favor of change agent leadership to fix inequity And Close the pay gap. We need practical solutions that address bias and a long history of inequity and discrimination, but also that address the real needs of a diverse, dynamic 21st century workforce where both men and women work. Organizations need to be educated as to the difference between public relations, status quo defending equity initiatives, and change agent initiatives that fix the real problem, address the inequity, and move the needle in terms of the outcomes. The optics, the storyline for why the pay gap persists may have improved for organizations as they publicly tout their philosophical belief in equal pay and cite their many initiatives aimed at fixing the problem, but the proof is in the outcomes. If you want to fix the pay gap, then fix the pay gap. It's not insurmountable, but it can be if critical time is wasted in defending the status quo. Former Senator Barbara Mikulski once said, quote, So I say to the women out there in America, let's keep this fight going. Put on your lipstick, square your shoulders, suit up, and let's fight for a new American revolution where women are paid equal pay for equal work. And let's end wage discrimination in this century once and for all, end quote. And while I appreciate the sentiment and applaud the passion, I will argue that this is not a woman's fight. This is about humanity, fairness, and equity. It is the responsibility of all of us, and it's time to stop turning to women to fix it and start holding systems, organizations, and leaders accountable in fixing it. So my manifest statement for this week is two quotes. First, as American soccer gold medalist Carly Lloyd said in Defending Equal Pay, quote, this isn't about a money grab. It's about doing the right thing, the fair thing. It's about treating people the way they deserve to be treated, no matter their gender, end quote. The second quote is from former Secretary General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-mu, quote, achieving gender equality requires the engagement of women and men, girls and boys. It is everyone's responsibility, end quote. But here's the thing. We as women have been the victims of pay inequity and have done much of the fighting. It is time, warriors, to expect that leaders, organizations, and governments do right by women and work as hard as we have to fix the problem of the gender pay gap and to fix it now. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at advancingwomenpodcast. I love getting your feedback, so please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior, who wrote the music for this podcast, and a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior, who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.